Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode 324, recorded August 2nd, 2020. So today we're doing UK comic strips, issues 25 through 27, or stories 25 through 7, that were originally in Valiant Magazine or TV21 Magazine, and then uh, is now reprinted in the Volume 2 hardcover by IDW. Right. So now TV21, instead of being partnered with Joe 90 or whatever that was, now they're partnered with Valiant. So it's Valiant and TV21. And now the numbering starts over again. The issue numbers. Issue the numbering numbers, started, right. over, started over again. So this is a different weekly publication. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and has a different artist and probably a different writer because uh, I don't think the stories are quite as good as they were before. The artwork is better, in my uh, opinion. I agree, yeah. But, but the stories, story <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, and quite frankly, the stories before were not Shakespeare, but at least these first three stories are not awesome. Yeah, a little disappointing. But maybe they're just getting going. Getting their feet feet right. set. Yeah. So John Stokes is the new artist, according yeah. to some and notes that you he gave He actually me. Gets, gets the coloring right. So we actually see yellow shirts for the exactly. first time. Kirk is not the only one with a red shirt anymore. <laughs> and the Enterprise, though not perfect, looks better. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to all this later. Sure. Well, let's just jump into the first story. It's fairly short. Maybe the shortest story we've had from UK Comics. It was only in uh, two different issues. Issue number one and issue two. And uh, really only consisted of like six pages. So it was quite short. Or two pages. Four pages. Whatever. It's it's very small. Yes. All right. So it's entitled The Aging World. And this came out between October 2nd, 1971 and October 9th, 1971. So the Enterprise following a distress call to an unknown planet. Kirk, Scotty, and a few red shirts go down in a shuttle. Once on the surface, they look for the lost crew broadcasting the distress call. The crew starts to age. One crew member freaks out, and he hijacks the shuttle, and he plows it straight into a mountain. Getting older by the minute, the rest of the crew continue to track down the distress signal and eventually find a wrecked ship with a skeleton with its fingers still pressing down the distress button. Satisfied that they cannot do anything else, Kirk orders a beam-up and requests that they reset the crew to the last known good, and when they re-materialize, they're back to their young fit selves. The end. Oh, did... kidding about it being short. Yeah, that's short. So they actually did something, instead of just beaming them up and they're magically better, they did specify to beam up 
like to the last known good backup copy? Uh, they don't actually say that, but uh, it's I don't know. I, they seem like yeah, it worked. So I yeah, thought maybe there was a conversation in between there that they okay. discussed that uh, that that was something they were going to do. But no, it's not mentioned. It's just it just happens, and they're like, all right, we're good. Yeah. We only lost one crew member and one shuttle. Yeah, and it's a red shirt anyway, so who cares? Yes, right. It it just smacked because I'm looking at the dialogue, and it's just a normal beam up that they say that you see, and pop, we're just we're just normal again, right? And it's like absolutely no explanation, nope. no explanation about why the planet did that to them and how magically they're back to normal. Right. Um, but at least they're showing the the transporter being used. I mean. They're just enamored with showing shuttles being used. In, in, in the UK, yeah, they use the shuttles more than any other device. Right, which is exactly what Enterprise did in the, uh, I think, most of the run, but definitely in the first couple seasons. Well, that was uh, because Transporter for humans was still kind of... New, exactly, yeah. and people were kind of like, ah. Yes, right. But I think it's pretty established in the show. Transporters work fine. And in the show, you almost never use a shuttle. No, but, no it's too expensive to bring it out. Exactly. So maybe in the comic, it just everybody thinks kids would get a bigger kick out of that than some kind of esoteric transportation effect. Exactly. Yeah. So this issue, at least the how it was resolved, reminds me of the Doctor Pulowski aging episode. Oh, from the next gen. The next generation. Yeah. And uh, because in that one, she's getting old or whatever, and then they find some hair from her brush and was able to use that DNA to resequence her transporter beam to make her young again. But you were saying that it reminded you of something else? Well, the first time this was done was in Taws, Season 2, Episode 12, The Deadly Years. So, yeah, in that one, uh, Kirk and McCoy and I think maybe Scotty, uh, although I'm not as sure about the Scotty one. They beam down to a planet, or maybe it's over to a ship. I don't remember exactly, but they beam someplace. And then they come back to the ship, and then they start aging when they're back on the ship. Right. And then eventually they're able to stop the aging process in reverse. And I think it was maybe some radiation exposure or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's the first time Taz did the aging thing. And then I guess I, I really next gen rehashed it. So yeah. how, how did the aging makeup look? Did they look good or did they? No, look, it didn't look good. Uh, and then uh, Kirk was kind of had his jaw set and almost sounded like an old prospector or something when he talked. It's like uh, <laughs> it's yeah. It, it was okay. It was okay. Yeah, I know. I've seen every episode of Star Trek, but man, that one does not ring a bell. I'm gonna have to look that you, one up. You should look for that one. And watch it. It's mainly since you don't remember it. Yeah. Is it season three? Season two. Episode 12. 12. All right. The Deadly Years. And there's a smoking hot uh, blonde lady in it. I don't remember why she was there, but it was like, uh, it's like, it was kind of like a potential romantic interest with Kirk. And then like Kirk is old and is like, oh, oh, this is changing the dynamic. Anywho. Mm. This was a one-and-done character. <laughs> sure. Like, what was she doing on the ship again? I don't remember. Okay. But 
whatever. So there's a lot of back and forth between Kirk and her as he's aging. And she and she's not aging because she didn't feed over to that planet. Uh, correct. I think okay. she's probably a doctor of some kind. I don't know. But she's yeah. got like very – she's not Starfleet. She's got right. like flowing – you like some kind of dress thing. So anyway. All right. I'm going to look it up. You take a look. Yeah, so the aging thing has been done fine. It, probably a lot of 60s TV shows. It's like, you know, there's certain tropes that they that everybody does. And I think we right. mentioned this kind of thing before. And aging is one of those. Right. Um, and so here they are uh, doing it again. This just seems like a very lazy story. However, one thing I did like about it is how they got the one red shirt that freaks out and is selfish and just takes the shuttle screw you know screw you guys the rest of the landing party i'm out of here and kirk is just the opposite of that he says hey we're not stopping our mission we're you know we're aging but we're still going to try to find the ship find the and find those people yeah. and so they find so they do it and then and then they beam back to the ship so i guess but wouldn't you think you would beam example. back as soon as you realize something was going on and then send back another crew with maybe uh, hazmat uniforms or something? I didn't say that it was the smartest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you just but like his determination. His determination, his courage to sure. you know finish the job they started, despite the fact that they're heading towards death. And then Scotty and the other uh, red shirt are like, they're going along with him and stuff, but... You know, so everybody was, you know, they followed Kirk's lead. Right. So that's, I, I guess, I, I kind of like that. Just showing some integrity, uh, some courage, some uh, self-sacrifice. Yeah, but I mean, self-sacrifice and the other two guys. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. Scotty, Scotty always seemed like he was a little older than William Shatner. So if they're aging at the same rate, then, you know, Scotty's going to go out first. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, in reading these three books, and if they're all the same writer, uh, yeah. which I think they probably are, but I don't know for sure. They're definitely the same artist. But right. one thing with these three books that are, are kind of driving home that I haven't seen in the previous UK strips is that they like to destroy shuttles. <laughs> and Kirk seems very cavalier with other people's lives, his, his crew members' lives. So ah. I, I, I it, it kind of struck me here, but later I was like, oh, my God, he's so like, eh. You know, <laughs> they're just lives, just a number. Exactly. You know, it's just like, because, uh, I mean, he doesn't bat an eye when that shuttle gets destroyed. He's just like, well, we got to keep going. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then, uh, I don't know. And then it just, I did, I did not like that. I did not like how he, he didn't have any... Any emotional response at all to that guy? Oh, the guy dying. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the loss of the Galileo 7. So do they just uh, rebuild it and then slap the 7 on all the shuttles? Is that how it works? Donovan, this is back in the days of episodic storytelling. The reset button is pressed every week. So that's maybe that's you why I didn't care that that guy things. died. You shouldn't ask such things as that. All right. Now, here's another interesting example of that. Um, early in the Voyager series, the first season, there is a comment 
between Chakotay and Janeway about the number of photon torpedoes they've got and the fact that once they're gone, they're gone. They can't make new ones. Mm. And I think the number was something like, uh, I, I forgot what the number was, but so I'm watching a video thing that's that's commenting about inconsistencies in Star Trek, but it says something like like they got 50 of them or something like that, 38, whatever, and uh, and then the person actually counted up the number <laughs> of photon torpedoes <laughs> they use in the uh, seven year run. It was a seven year run, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. And it's like 190. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know that's that's kind of a a geek nit, oh, but wow. it's like. You just can't ask things like that. Or, like, another thing. They lost a lot of shuttles in the seven-year run of Voyager. Right. So they must have been able to build new ones. And we, of course, know they built the Delta Flyer. Sure. So they had the ability to build shuttles. So, but but that's another one. And crew members, too. I mean, a lot of people died. So oh, they yeah. should have, they should have, like, started recruiting people from... The other planets they go to. It's like, hey, we're missing like out on a couple of uh, people to clean the toilets. Like Neelix? Yeah. Well, I mean, aside from Neelix, just just other people. I mean, you killed people all the time in yep. that show. And you lost a big chunk of people in the first transition to the caretaker whatever. Right, right. Place. Well, they explain that. That's why they merged the two crews. But well, exactly, right. So they, You think that it would have kept going, you know. Because I mean, there was a scene where the what were they called the Kazon? They killed a whole bunch of people and yeah. left them stranded on a planet. Yep, they never That's seemed true. to be short any crew when they got back on the the, the Voyager. Right. Anyway, and and there was a lot of battle damage that they built that they fixed over time. So. And the Borg killed a bunch of folks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I just have one last thing to say about this. Is since this is a new comic, pretty. I mean, it is. Although it's it's carrying on what they did with TV twenty one and Joe ninety. So at the end of this issue, there is a thing that puts a little plug on the other stories. This is a weekly magazine that has multiple stories in it, and so apparently, from that page at the end, where it's. I mean, this is the first issue. So it says a couple, the last page tells us multiple things about this publication. So every Monday, they publish a new one. And the first one was October 2nd, 1971, the first issue. So that's kind of interesting. And then it's showing the other three stories that I guess are recurring stories that they do in addition to Star Trek. And so I just thought I would mention quickly, Captain Hurricane who looks like some British special ops military guy who just looks like a big, huge, dumb bully. <laughs> He's a big, beefy guy and is like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and crush you because I just feel like it. That's what I got out of that that picture. I'm sure that's not what it is, but I just like, that's just the impression I got from the drawing they have. They have a single drawing of Captain Hurricane and he just looks like a big bully. And then the next one is Billy Bunter, who is a heavy round guy who has glasses and has a whole tray of cupcakes that is falling off. And he's running and he's happy because he's got cupcakes. And then there's some school teacher behind him or something. I'm not quite sure. So I can definitely see Captain Hurricane uh, bullying Billy. 
And then the last thing is the Tufts of Terror Island. So there's like four young, early teenage kids. Maybe they're 15 or 14. I don't know exactly. But it looks like each one of them have different uh, like clothes or something. So you can tell the difference between them visually. And they're on some island that has T-Rexes and, and pterodactyls. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Which reminded me a little bit of the uh, Danger Island live action stories that used to be on the Banana Splits when I was a kid. So I don't think they replayed Banana Splits that much, did they? When you were Oh yeah. I loved Banana Splits. Oh okay. So you remember Danger Island then? Okay, so and then that, that starred Jan Michael Vincent in an early you know, uh, Airwolf. So that was an early uh, job he had. But that was pirates, not dinosaurs. I don't remember there was it being dinosaurs. So maybe it's a little bit more like Land of the Lost. Hmm. Don't know. Anyway, but that was another thing from childhood, Land of the Lost. Anywho, so there's that's there, because I don't remember from TV twenty one. I don't remember any references to what the other stories were on Joe, Joe ninety TV twenty one. I did look it up the UK comic strips um, just to the TV Century 21 line to see what other stories were in these books. And aside from Star Trek, they did a lot of other TV shows, but I guess by the time they got to Titan or whatever this one is, Valiant, uh, they kind of phased out all their other TV shows except for Star Trek. So Star Trek lasted longer than their Dalek series and their other television-based series uh, oh, that they that oh, did. One of the stories followed the Daleks. Yeah, yeah, well, before it became uh, this one, before it became Valiant. Yeah, okay, so okay, so Joe 90 had a Doctor Who story, but it focused on Daleks. Right, right. Huh, okay. And they also did a uh, Tarzan one, Thunderbirds, obviously we knew about that one, and things like that. So they did a well, lot of I like, didn't. TV versions, and then uh, they keep bringing in their own stuff. The Saint, I guess, had had a, a series in there, too. Oh, interesting. So it was kind of a mishmash of just uh, TV expanded stuff. TV strips, but by the time it moved to Valiant, uh, it looks like Star Trek was the the only one that survived uh, the that was actually based on an outside source and not something they were coming up with. Right. Yes. But it's kind of cool. Right. I wonder how that Tarzan one is. And the Daleks one. I think I've actually read some of the Dalek one before. Cool. Well, I'd be interested in the Dalek one. Um, I, I guess Tarzan, but... Well, I say Tarzan because I'm just curious if it follows more the, the TV show or the old, you know, Johnny Wisemiller movies. You know, which version right. of Tarzan. Exactly. And I remember that TV show a bit. Was that, was that with Ron Ely? Ron Ely, yeah. I couldn't remember his name. Who was... <laughs> Uh, the, the thing I know Ron Ely best for is um, Doctor. What's his? Oh. Doctor Bronskin. Uh, he. Oh. He was, uh, um, um, he was in that movie. Uh, they, uh, they did a movie Alan version. Alan Quartermain. No, no, not not that. It was Doc Savage. That's it. Doc Savage. Okay. Doc Savage, not Doctor. Okay, whatever. Well, I know him best from, uh, there was an episode of Superboy. Okay. <laughs> Superboy goes into the future. Yeah. And he meets up with his future self, played by Ron Ellie. Oh. And 
I guess they didn't have the rights to the name Superman. So uh, he, they say something, and then like Ron Ellie's like, they won't call you Superboy forever. And, it's like, and then they kind of like play a little music that kind of sounds like Christopher Reeve music. Mm-hmm. Ah, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he had, uh, you know, he had white hair with the with the Superman curl, so he kind of looked like Marlon uh, uh, Brando's wig. Uh-huh. Ah! <laughs> cool but yeah i was just like that's pretty cool and okay. then i found out that he was also tarzan and stuff like that so yeah yeah anyways boy we are off track yeah okay should we go to the second story ah uh, i call this one the insomnia inducer yeah <laughs> yeah well i think this is i think this is the longest storyline that we've run into so far. Uh, definitely, yeah. We just finished we the just... shortest one, and now we're going to hit the longest one. Right. Yeah, All right, go so, for it, kid. Yeah, so this is this this storyline encompasses issues 3 through 11. Beefy story. And these uh, published dates are from October 16th, 1971 to December 11th, 1971. And John Stokes, again, is the artist. The Klingons and the Federation are locked in a cold war that sees the loss of life and commerce as the Klingons make a habit of destroying Federation ships that come too close to their territory. An armed Starfleet survey ship is blown to bits by a well-drawn Klingon D-7 cruiser. Good job, John. The Admiralty orders Kirk and the Enterprise to the planet Lothor, where Kirk is ordered to secure the diplomatic cooperation of Lothorians to set up a Starfleet attack unit on their planet. From that strategic base, they can better check the Klingon activity in the sector. Kirk takes the assignment and orders course change. Meanwhile on Earth, a spy in a Starfleet red tunic that works within the Admiralty passes word of Kirk's assignment to an operative that transmits the news to Klingon High Command. A Klingon D-7 enters orbit around Lothor. The ship's tall and lean Klingon commander that apparently digs the Ming the Merciless look is speaking with a scientist that claims his hypnosis device, mechano-hypnosis device, will allow them to take over the Lothorian leadership. Ming says he'd better be able to do that because that is the basis of the trap he plans to lay for Kirk and his minions. <laughs> End of issue three. Issue four. En route to Lothor, the Enterprise is attacked by a Klingon raider whose small size and underpowered weapons are no match for the mighty starship's shields. Little does Kirk and crew realize, but this is just a delaying tactic to give Ming more time to carry out his mechano-hypnosis of the Lothorian leader. The brainwashed leader will bait Kirk and his ship in nice and close, then the death knell will sound. End of issue four. Issue five. The Enterprise finally arrives at Lothor. Kirk and Spock, dressed in their fancy dress uniforms, take a shuttle down, of course. Kirk and Spock are met by the Lothorian president, who shows them around before they get down to business. The Klingons are watching proceedings and are quite happy with how Kirk is stepping into their trap. 
Ming makes it clear he intends to use the mechanohypnosis on Kirk and finds out from his scientist that the effects will not wear off, but can only be ended by destruction of the mechanohypnosis device, which they know that'll never happen. <laughs> they test out the mechanohypnosis device on a human who is in the shuttlecraft. It's your shuttlecraft pilot that's just sitting around waiting for Kirk to return. And he is put completely under Ming's mind control. They prove it by ordering the pilot to close the shuttle door on his hands, and he does so with no outward sign of hesitancy or pain after it closes on his hand. Now confident their vice works on humans, Ming and his scientists, Karkax, move to the next phase of their deadly plan. The end of issue five. Issue number six. Under Klingon control, the president talks Kirk into bringing down most of the Enterprise crew. Oh, my God. For a celebratory gathering, he oddly calls the Red Wedding. That's kind of a Game of Thrones reference. The president asks how many people must remain on uh, the ship to be able to keep it in orbit. Kirk naively says, oh, only ten or so. But Spock's suspicions are raised, given the oddness of the question. Spock says, nothing for now, but his eyes are kept wide open. They use many shuttles, duh, no transporters, to ferry down the entire crew, except for ten people, led by Chekhov. The Klingons are ecstatic. Things are going so well. All of the crew that came down to the planet are in the banquet hall. Big banquet hall. Uh, except for Mr. Spock, whose growing suspicions drew him back into one of the shuttles to call up to Chekhov to check the ship's status. Ming has Karaka-X zap everyone in the banquet hall, and it works. Even Captain Kirk says he will obey the Klingons unquestioningly. From a passageway outside the hall, Spock sees most of the crew have been hypnotized and begins to plan his next move when a Lothorian guard points his BFG at Spock and tells him to freeze. The end of issue six. Issue seven. Spock neck pinches the guard and makes a fast break to a shuttle to warn the Enterprise. Ming and his scientist pal spot Spock running to the shuttle. The scientist zaps Spock at a distance with his mechanohypnosis ray. And it apparently works because Spock stops and heeds their orders to return to the banquet hall. Ming tells the crew in the banquet hall to act normally and return to Earth. When they arrive, they are to fly the Enterprise directly into the capital of the Federation located on Earth and thereby destroy the building and the leadership. Later, they all return to the Enterprise, where Kirk gives the order to Scotty to set course for Earth. Meanwhile, Spock, who fought off the effects of the mechanohypnosis ray, meets with Chekhov and the skeleton crew that were never zapped, and tells them of the plot. He goes on to say it's up to them to put the rest of the crew under house arrest to foil the Klingons' plans. Meanwhile, back on the bridge, somehow, Kirk knows of Spock's little pep rally, 
and gives Uhura orders to seal number six restroom and flood it with gas. End of issue seven. Issue eight. Their plans made, Spock goes to the door to leave and discovers they are locked in. Spock realizes somehow Kirk knows of their plans. His next logical move will be to flood the room with stunning vapor, which apparently is a lot like anesthesine gas. Spock takes his tunic off and uses it to block the gas entering the locked kill box. Chekhov is able to get out through a panel in the ceiling, and the rest follow, including Spock. Kirk, realizing Spock escaped, takes a security team and captures Chekhov and the rest, except for Spock. Spock makes his way back to the transporter room and plans to use it to return to Lothor alone. End of issue 8. Issue 9. Spock realizes he needs to destroy the Klingon mechanohypnosis device to break its hold on the crew and the leaders of Lothor. Spock barely makes it and materializes on Lothor. Fearing Kirk will warn the Klingons, he knows he does not have much time. He acts like he is still under Klingon control and quickly makes his way to the president's government building. Spock finds out where the Klingons are from the president, grabs a gun, and bursts in on the two Klingons, only to find Kirk is already there, and he's pointing a phaser at Spock. End of issue 9. Issue 10. Confronted with Kirk about to shoot him, Spock uses his great mind to reach out to his friend Kirk and break the Klingon's hypno-control over him at a distance. There's, there's, there's no mind melt going on. They're not touching each other. Action Spock springs into action and karate chops Ming. Realizes what is at stake, Karkax grabs the device and makes a run for it. Using a green shower curtain, Karkax cleverly covers Spock with it, which gives him just enough time to escape. Spock explains to Kirk what is going on. They must destroy the device, or the Enterprise will deal a crippling blow to the nerve center of the Federation. It's all up to the two of them, since Karkax has used his machine on the entire Lothorian population. Two against a world. Meanwhile, Karkax orders the president and all his men to vacate the government building and lock all the doors behind them. Safely outside, they activate self-destruction devices that level the building and likely entomb Kirk and Spock. End of issue 10. Issue 11. Thinking he has won, Karkax drops his guard. Exactly when Kirk and Spock come around the corner, very much alive. Sensing they need to get out of the building. Immediately, they did so before the building was locked down. They kicked out the two guards and take their weapons. Kirk takes some long shots at Karkax, hoping to hit the device, but he misses. Meanwhile, Scotty is at the con and flying the Enterprise at high warp towards Earth. Yes, high warp towards Earth, very far away from Lothor by now. And Scotty is hellbent on carrying out his Klingon master's wishes. 
Kirk and Spock follow Karkax into a spacecraft hangar as he enters a space plane. Spock and Kirk are able to enter a small hovering craft just as Karkax starts to lift off. Kirk flies the hovercraft directly into the space plane that Karkax is in, but just before they impact, they hit their ejection seat controls. Parachutes automatically deploy, and Kirk and Spock float to the ground unharmed, while Karkax and his precious device reach the ground first in a ball of flames and justice. Very short time later, Kirk and Spock use the fantastic long-range transwarp beaming transporter, apparently, to return to the bridge of the Enterprise. Kirk says there will be much to explain when they reach Earth. Spock says especially how they obtained transwarp beaming technology without Khan's help. The end. Now, Khan didn't help with the transwarp beaming. That was, uh... That was Scotty. Oh, Scotty. Ah. Uh. Okay, so hold on. Okay, so let, let's talk about that for a second. Just make sure I get that all straight. It was actually Old Spock that told Scotty how to do it. And old Spock told Scotty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, Scotty was testing but, it on on Portos. Or, well, or, okay, but he he didn't, so he was working on it, but he didn't have it right. Yeah, sure. That's fine. But how did Khan get it then? Because Khan uh, had it. Khan got it from from section thirty one or whatever. Well, okay. So I think Admiral Khan because Admiral Marcus had it, and then Khan stole it from him because Admiral Mar he was working for Admiral Marcus. Well, I know he was working for Admiral Marcus, but I don't think I think Khan is the one that developed transport beaming that he used himself. But whatever, it doesn't matter. No, because Scotty, when Scotty finds it, he's like, "How did they get this? That it's supposed to well, be okay, you know, okay. locked up." Well, how order. about this? So Scotty was working on it, the Federation was working on it, but they it wasn't working yet. And well, Khan got the information it. and perfected it. Maybe that's what happened. Nope. Well, nope. Okay. Well, I Okay, I don't want to get into a pissing match here. But I just want to say Scotty did not successfully transwarp beam anything. So I do not believe well, with Spock's help they did transport. Well, yes, to the but that happened. But that happened after Khan already had had the technology and was using it, right? No, am I wrong about that? Yeah, because Khan was in the second movie. He didn't. Oh, that's it. right. That's right. That's right. Okay, you're right. Sorry, I'm mixing up the first and second book, second movies. Okay, <laughs> fine, fine. You're right. You're right, Donovan. Darn right, I am. <laughs> you might get me on the original series episodes, but I know those movies. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Anyway, how do you like the the incredibly long story? Oh, it was incredibly long. Yeah, I was telling Ken uh, over the last course. You know, we take about a week to read these and then record them on the weekends. And um, yeah, boy, I every day. Every day, every night, I'm like opening up the book, and I would read a page, and then I'm dead asleep. I mean, it didn't matter what time I started. This book put me to sleep every single day. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I called it uh, the insomnia inducer because uh, – or no, I guess it would be the opposite of that. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah. the cure for insomnia. If you're ever having exactly. insomnia, read this one. Yes. You're asleep. 
a non. It started off good. I liked the whole like you know this guy's like passing along information through candies or whatever. Sure. I thought that was kind of like a, okay, this is a cool spy one. Exactly. And then it just like went off the rails and. Nah. <laughs> I was not a fan. Well, it started off talking about the Cold War. Right. So that's cool. That's very much in keeping with Taws. Um, sure. And its reflections on what was going on, you know, in the world when it was made. So I kind of like that. But yeah, they just, it just, it just dragged on. And of course, the whole MacGuffin, the um, the technology, the, the mechano-hypnotizer thing. It's like, oh my God. That thing just got harder and harder to believe <laughs> That's right. as time went on. It's like, not only can I have this little 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 beam or maybe lightning, whatever it is, go out to people and completely bend them to your will. I mean, completely. And you actually are still thinking like you. It's not like you're turned into a robot or something. It's just you're totally co-opted whoever ran the thing. Right. Um, it's like, oh, my God. that, And then you can do it to hundreds of people at the same time. It's like, oh, my God, this thing. Oh, my God. Right. right. Yeah. And then but but then they have to have superhuman Spock who's somehow able to with his great mind break control, it, break it with his hybrid mind, his hybrid mind. Exactly. Don't they even mention it? it's like. His half Vulcan mind is able to break through, or whatever. I just yeah, like, whatever. If that's the case, then I'm sure there's other species that uh, have different brain chemistries than humans, yeah. and they should be able to break it too. And Lothorians, right? Apparently, right. yeah. But I did kind of like the idea of brainwashing a uh, ship, and then not maybe not brainwashing, but. Having a ship just plow into a planet. I mean, it sounds horrible, especially after 9-11. Uh, yeah. But years before 9-11, there was a, a, a novel, a Star Wars novel, where that was one of the Empire's admirals. Her her plan was to take a Star Destroyer and just plow it into Coruscant. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, that would just completely destroy the whole planet. Even though, right. you know, size-wise, Star Destroyer is not that big. But, you know... It's, Plowing into a planet at you know light speed would be devastating, and so here they yeah. kind of did the same thing where they're talking about plowing the Enterprise into Federation HQ or whatever. Yeah, whatever, whatever they whatever they, words they used. Yeah, and Which, I had I had the impression that it was going to destroy the building and probably maybe the surrounding city, but I was I wasn't expecting it to to, to destroy Earth, but. Whatever they, they they didn't go it into detail. It would be pretty bad. Oh yeah, it'd be pretty bad. Yep. Right. So the ship drawing, the artwork was very good. I I kind of alluded to it in the synopsis. I thought the D sevens looked great. Um, yeah, they even had the little logos on there on yeah. the ships. Yep, I thought that was great. I don't even think that's on the real ships. Uh, or if it is, you never saw it close enough to to notice it. Right. But yeah, that looks like a Klingon. Like Klingon writing or something. Maybe that's a registry number. I don't know. Exactly. That's what I liked. I was yeah. like, yeah, it would make sense that they would have registries too. Right. So that looked cool. I remember the weapons coming out of the front of the bulbous part, like the, like the I guess, primary hull, if you want to call it that, at the very front. I, I know like photon torpedoes or whatever they have for that comes out of the front of that part. I don't remember weapons coming out of the nacelles, but... 
whatever they're showing it here maybe at some point they did that i don't know mm. but so that was a little like odd struck me a little odd but maybe that's at some point that's where it came from uh on t7s i don't know um they also show okay so where the established but is that ships... a weapon or is that the hypno beam well that was at the beginning where they destroyed they hadn't introduced the the tech the hypno beam yet Oh, but it is how they jam the... Okay, that's how they're jamming the communications. Well, I thought that's how they destroyed the uh, armed survey ship. Okay, okay. I'm on I'm on a different page. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so this is the beginning. This is yeah, early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then like two I'm pages later, to. they're using that same nacelle to jam the communications. Okay. There yeah, you go. all right. I got you now. Okay. So the established TAWS ships all look good. They look accurate. I mean, the Enterprise is a little wonky, but still... About as good as we've seen so far. Mm. Um, but the new ships we'd ever seen before, they're quite fanciful. So there's an armed survey ship that you know, has like three like fins coming off of the back. And the two on the side have nacelles. So that they look like Federation nacelles. So, okay, so the nacelles look like, like Enterprise nacelles, kind of. But then the, the top third thing is more like a like, like the back of a, uh, the fin of, a, of an airline today but it's got like this big bulbous like engine or something on it also i'm not sure what that is anyway it's very curvy i mean it almost reminded me a little bit of the old romulan fighters that uh kirk and or uh, picard and data escaped in during nemesis oh really anyway wow. very finny very curved you know black you know that kind of thing but yeah, so so reminded so, me of buck rogers well that too 50s stuff that too but then, so that was the Federation ship, the Starfleet ship. And they never use the word Starfleet, but whatever. And then later in the book, they're showing the Klingon Raider that's doing the delaying tactics uh, against the Enterprise. And that ship looks suspiciously like the Federation armed survey ship. Except that the Klingon Raider doesn't have uh, Enterprise-style nacelles on the side. It has three bulbous things that look like engines. Anyway, oh, I thought yeah. I, I thought point. they I thought they were unusually close to each other. I mean, they were not a perfect match, but unusually close to each other. Yeah, I so. actually thought it was the same ship. Tell you the truth. Oh, okay. Well, maybe they, that, they look from, really close. From falling asleep and watching it, reading it on different days, uh, I did not catch that the that they actually destroyed that first one yeah. outright, and then this is just another ship. I was kind of thinking, oh, they must have captured that first ship. Right. All right. Yep, you're right. No, they do look very similar. Very similar. So, and of course, uh, the the lead Klingon, did they ever say his name? I think they, they call oh, him Commander. No, but I like I liked the Ming thing. Well, yeah, he, he doesn't have a really high collar, which would really be icing on the cake. But the rest of his look is very Ming-like. Right. So instead of having the goatee, he kind of has mutton chops. But aside from that. Yeah. Very mean, being like, yep. Right. I guess he does have he does have a little bit of a beard too. Oh, he's yeah. got a beard. Oh no, no, yeah, he, he has that pointed chin too. Yeah. Yeah, very mean like I liked it. Right. But it was also cool to see the Klingon logo, which again I don't yeah. remember ever seeing the Klingon logo on their clothes, on their clothes and stuff. Yeah. No. And in fact, but, I don't ever remember seeing the Klingon logo until maybe the movies. What, I guess it was in the TV show at some point. It must have been in the TV show at some point. But I don't ever remember seeing it. Yeah. 
And of course, uh, the, the the one thing about his outfit that looks pretty good um, is he's wearing his under his green underwear on the outside, as you do, as you do in superhero comic books. However, this isn't really a superhero comic book, but uh, yeah, so that 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 part kind of like oh, green underwear on the outside, huh. okay. I liked how there was a, a spot in the book where I think it was when the Klingon Raider was going to attack them. And it was Sulu who said, full force field, close inner locks. And then another guy says, force field operative, sir, locks. And then a third guy says, locks activated. So either they mistakenly drew Sulu in that panel, or they did something that's cool, which is they put Sulu in there, where he's kind of like doing a Riker thing, which is very untaws like I mean, when Kirk is at the con, he gives all the orders, and no one else takes the initiative, typically. Right. However, in Next Gen, Picard and Riker obviously have great respect for each other, and there are times where Riker will take the initiative, and then Picard's just fi- is absolutely fine with it, because, well, it's what I would have done, so yeah, cool, there you go. So I, I, that was almost a Riker-Picard kind of thing uh, with Sulu and Kirk. Anyway, I kind of like that. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, don't they do that in the comic strips with um, Spock doing that a lot of times, just I, giving the orders and you know, Sp- just like that, standing there going, <laughs> Yeah, and that would make sense. That's cool, because he's first officer. Right. So I don't know, uh, having the helmsman do that might be a little weird. <laughs> but I don't. I, I kind of liked it. At least they had Sulu do something. Somebody's bucking for a promotion. Uh, Captain Sulu someday, perhaps. Anyway, now that's good. So another thing that they kind of take away from Kirk's normal bag of tricks mm-hmm. and give to somebody else is they let Spock take off his shirt <laughs> and roll around on the floor a bit. Exactly. Expose his moves. manly chest. There you go. Yeah, it's a very Kirk thing to do. That is. And Captain Daggett. Doesn't he do it too in Galaxy Quest? No! <laughs> but but you know why he did it. Because he's Kirk. <laughs> and of yeah. course, the wonderful humor in one of my favorite Star Trek movies ever, Beyond, where they make the joke out of uh, Kirk being, being back at the beginning... And he just says, I ripped my shirt again. <laughs> <laughs> you really like that one? I love that one. That's a great one. I mean, I don't dislike it, but it's just, it's not my favorite. Well, okay. Okay. So my favorite's Khan. Wrath of Khan. Uh, Ra- yeah, Wrath of Khan, not Into Darkness. Right, um, right, right. Okay. And, and of course, I First Contact, I love that too. But I really like Beyond. With all of its flaws sure you know being a diehard fan you gotta you kind of have to do that i I even like star trek 5 and star trek 1 where a lot of people would fight me on that i'm not gonna fight you on it but star trek 5 sucked (laughs) so i hear so i hear (laughs) so you said in the past yeah yeah anyway whatever i mean you know It's all Trek and it's all great. And some people dismiss 
uh, Discovery and things like that out of hand because it just isn't their it's not their Star Trek but it's like yeah whatever people pick their their things to hate on yeah I keep hearing people like like about the lower decks like eh nobody's gonna watch this and I'm like why would you not watch it it looks funny and it's Star Trek so well I didn't see much funny in the one and only trailer however I'm gonna watch it Hell yeah, I'm going to watch it. I just didn't find the trailer funny, mm. which I was hoping to. But anyway, we'll we've see. said that before. Yep. So most series takes a few episodes to get their legs under them, you know, right. to, to start hitting a rhythm. Yep. Hopefully they give us one a chance. Yep. So about this issue, I kind of like the uh, transporter thing about beaming away right at the last second. I know it's been done before, but. I always kind of like that visual where you see the beams going through the uh, shadow of the pattern pattern buffer as you're disappearing. Oh, now I got you. Now I know what you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one spot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then everybody's like shooting their phasers. And I actually, now, well, finish your comment. Then I have something to say about that particular panel. No, I'm just saying I I, I like that visual of the phasers going through your pattern yes. buffer. Uh, but. It is always tainted with that one episode of The Next Generation when a phaser beam somehow hit the pattern buffer and bounced off and ricocheted and killed some guy. Oh! And, you know, remember Kirk, uh, Riker was on trial for killing some guy that was the husband of the girl he was smooching on? Right. And they come to find out that he didn't kill him. The guy killed himself when he tried to shoot him and hit the pattern buffer and ricocheted and shot him. Oh, you know, so it's just like it either goes through you or it doesn't. You know, you well, can't yeah. choose. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think that's just something, another bit of inconsistency that was expedient for the story. So they right. did it. it made for a good courtroom drama. How did the guy die and Riker not know about it? And exactly. Riker being the only one that could do it. It was right. it was a it was a good courtroom drama. Yeah, not as good as. Worth of a man? That's Measure of a man. One. What was that? Measure of a man. Measure of a man, that's it. That was a good one. And I, I thought that one with Riker on trial was was like, oh my god. Uh, this is Riker showing his Kirk thing, being a horn dogger. Or at least, <laughs> you know, there's like three different stories going on. Or three different stories being told about the from the standpoint of three different people. And then Riker's like, no, I was cool. And then uh, with the wife or the husband was like, Riker was a horn dog. I just, right. I just found that kind of entertaining. <laughs> anyway, my, my comment about this panel uh, that you're sure. referring to is yep. looking closely, all three of the crewmen that are shooting at Spock, they're holding type one phasers. The little which I think, babies. Exactly. The little baby phasers. So they're not holding type 2. They're holding type 1 phasers. And I think that is so cool. I mean, how often, if ever, do we see those type? I mean, that's great. I mean, again, did the artist get, get a memo saying, hey, you know, let's try to put in as much things that actually are in the show, you know, if you can. Well, he that's probably great. only watched like the first couple episodes. And that was that was about when they phased those out. So as far as he knew, that well, they, they used them all the way through. 
Paws always used those. They just didn't Did use they? them that often. Yeah. Uh, and even next gen, in the first season, they used uh, silver, you know, versions of Type 1 phasers. And it was next gen that phased them out. Because people couldn't see the little, the little it looked like beams were coming out of people's hands. They yeah, almost yeah, couldn't see them. I thought they phased it out in the first, the original series. I don't think so, but, um, you know, I, I, I can't think of an example in season three where they used them, but I know they used them in, in season one and two. Um, gotcha. Okay. But, yeah. I always thought those were the best. They're small, they're powerful, very cool. Anyway. Right. But this is one of the first, I do not remember the last time I ever saw this in any of the comics. Yeah, you don't see them very often. No. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. Okay, so transwarp beaming. You know, yep. it's like, hold on. <sighs> okay. So <laughs> one, you, can... you don't ever use the transporter, and two, when you do, it's so much more magical. It's, it's the super mega transporter. <laughs> <sighs> exactly. Okay. Well, if it could do it that kind of distance, it's like, well. Number one, why wouldn't you use it all the time? And I guess a commentary that was made multiple times about, you know, after uh, the J.J. Abrams ones. Well, why do you even have ships anymore if you right. can just beam between, to planets? Anyway. It's a very uh, valid concern. It's a valid concern. There you go. It takes away all the fun. It does. Okay, I really don't have, I mean, there's more things I could say, but. Right. I don't, be, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, same here. I mean, do we want to talk about Kirk, how he broke Kirk's mind control? or? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Oh, I mean, I, you mentioned it in the synopsis just that yeah. he was able to do it without touching him just by, like, we are friends, so I can break your, your mind control. <laughs> At a distance, yes. Right. Yeah, I thought it was a little silly. I mean, when has Spock been able to affect somebody's mind without being in contact with them? Now, maybe it happened at some point somewhere. Sure. But I can't think of an example. Well, he does it with Viger. He's able to mind meld from a Well, distance. okay. So I thought about that same thing. It's just that it's kind of ambiguous in the motion picture when that's happening. I mean, he seems to be reaching out to – I mean – does he actually touch anything? No. Okay. There's just okay. that little like orifice thing pulsating in the <laughs> right. distance. But in the book, doesn't it sound like V'ger? Because there are parts in the book, the Roddenberry book, where you understand what V'ger's doing and, and V'ger's point of view. And he talks about the encounter with Spock. So was it V'ger that was reaching out to Spock? And it wasn't really... I mean, anyway. Well, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, Viger was reaching out to Spock even when he was on Vulcan and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So they good, already had good point. Good point. Okay. Okay, so the whole thing. But was uh, – so in that – good example. So the whole Viger-Spock interaction, definitely at a distance. But right. who was who was initiating what? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, yeah. So there you go. Shall we go on to the, the next action-packed one? Oh, let's do. All right, so this one is called The Creeping Death. This is uh, Story 27, which was in Valiant Magazine issues 
12 through 17 over the course of December 18, 1971 and January 23, 1972. The Enterprise arrives to the planet Grakon to make first contact with its people. The Grakon people see an unknown ship coming into orbit, and they assume that it is a raiding alien force, so they plan to strike. Unknowing of the upcoming attack, Kirk and crew board two shuttles and head towards the planet. They are both hit with an unknown weapon that causes a strange moss to start covering the ships. One of the shuttles smashes into a mountain and blows up while Kirk's shuttle makes a water landing. Once the shuttle's into the water, the moss dissolves, and Kirk, Spock, and five other crew members are able to board a raft and paddle to shore. As soon as they make landfall, they're captured into a flying saucer and then taken to the leader of the Grakons. Here, they're able to resolve this misunderstanding. The leader profusely apologizes. Kirk tells them that it was just one shuttle and several crew members. Don't worry about it. No biggie. But then the leader says, no, he's actually apologizing because they've already actually struck the Enterprise itself with the same weapon. The Enterprise in orbit is now completely encased in this moss-like fungus. And without any control over the ship, they're heading straight to the sun. Unable to contact anybody outside of the ship or escape in any way. So they are what we call doomed. Kirk and Spock board an alien rocket ship and they head out to space to try to help. En route, they are attacked by the raiding aliens that the Grakons thought the Enterprise was. Spock is able to trick these new aliens by slamming the brakes on his rocket ship so that they then miss shooting them. And then once they kind of overtake them, then Spock has uh, the rocket ship fire on the aliens and destroys them without any problems. The Enterprise is now a lost cause. The aliens ask Kirk what does he want to do. Does he want the ship to burn up at the sun? Or they can go ahead and destroy the great ship themselves. Kirk surprisingly chooses the latter. And just as the aliens are about to destroy the Enterprise, Spock has a brilliant idea. To just shoot some of the boss off the antenna so that way they can communicate with the crew. Kirk thinks this is worth a shot, and they go ahead and do it. Once communications is open, Spock tells Scotty to release water from the hull to wash the moss off. Somehow, they're able to do this, and the moss comes off easily, and the ship is saved. As the Enterprise heads off to its next adventure, nobody talks about how freely Kirk was with taking all their lives just a few pages before. The end. Yeah, I definitely think how Kirk was so ready to forgive losing the first shuttle with all those <laughs> hands aboard. Right. I thought that was ridiculous. Ah, don't worry about it. Now, the whole thing at the end, Kirk was willing to kill them if there was no other option. He did not want them to basically die slowly as they get roasted, as they go towards the sun. So I'm not as uncharacteristic at the end but it definitely is in the middle where he's uh, like, oh, no, no, no problem. You know, those seven people or whoever was in the shuttle, dead. That's yeah, fine. That know. really bugged me. I don't think you would roast that long. Um, and, you don't, you know, he didn't know it, the moss could have burned off before the ship did. Well, that's another thing that occurred to me, too. 
Yeah, this moss, fungus, whatever it is, is magical stuff. Right. I mean, obviously, it can't really be the moss or fungus that we're used to. Sure. Because it can survive in space. It can survive, apparently, under great heat. And water is its enemy. Washes it away. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, no, actually, moss and fungus like water. So whatever this stuff is, that, by the way, can be applied at a distance, another magical distance beam that can deposit something either into somebody's mind or physically onto a device or a ship. I don't know. Again, a second example where there is a technological MacGuffin, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but makes possible a scenario that threatens the the, the ship and crew. Right. So. Yeah. And how do you get water in space? Yeah. So as soon as he's like. It dissipates, right? I mean. What? If you release water into space, it, it just dissipates. Or freezes, right? So, I mean, those – it's not going to stay as water and stay on the hole like uh, – Right. No, it no. It definitely is not going to do that. So I was really curious on how that happened. And, yeah. and uh, I'm assuming that the nacelles and all throughout the ship doesn't have little water spigots like a windshield <laughs> piper. It's just more of – we're not going to do anything that makes sense here. And we think our <laughs> audience isn't going to notice it. Or not yeah, enough. Exactly. So. Right, right, right. I mean, because kids were stupid in 1971. They <laughs> wouldn't have figured this out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not I'm, like us. I'm sure many of them would have, but I don't think the publishers gave enough credit to how stupid some of their stories are. Right. Anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, but that guy, those, those poor guys at the beginning when they crashed into a mountain again. I mean, again, yeah. the writer likes to crash shuttles in the mountains. Yes, but, I mean, it even shows, like, a picture of them, like, staring out the window going, I don't know. <laughs> we're we're going to die. Exactly. <laughs> then yeah. they just die. And then Kirk's like, meh. Yeah. Poop happens. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, all right. Okay. So I just want to say that I interpreted the beginning a little different than you did. Oh, really? What and part? it caused great concern for me. Because basically at the beginning, Kirk with his little red headset on. Which really, that's an Ahura thing, not you. Where he's, for some reason he's got a headset on. He's looking at a, what appears to be either paper, a yellow paper, or or maybe it's some kind of display device, maybe. But I really think they're going for paper. Where they're showing the orbits of, of this particular solar system, star system, whatever. And Kirk is like, all right. A uh, solar system just like Earth. Oh, and he's look. Super oh, super excited. And he's almost got a look in his eyes like, oh, we're going to go out and explore that planet because it's probably just like Earth. So <laughs> as near as I can tell, they're clueless about there being intelligent life on the planet. So the yeah, idea of true. first contact, I don't think it was a first contact situation. I think it was a, ooh, here's a great place we could set up a colony. Uh, although they didn't say that, but I, right. that's the impression I got out of it. And it's like, sorry, very clear from Taw's episodes that they have little things called sensors, which there is a protocol when you come up to a new solar system, you come up to a new planet, 
you're you're using the sensors to assess the situation because you do not want to go in breaking the prime directive beaming into a planet that obviously has a large population probably has a certain amount of industrialization that you can pick up signs of you know tool tool <laughs> tool users right and right. things so i mean you know not interference i mean there's protocols for all this, so this wouldn't happen on the TV show. Right. Yeah, and, and there, these people had spaceships and yeah, um, you know, had fought with another alien that comes from another another planet. So yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they definitely would have been broadcasting, you know, something radio. Well, there you go. There you go. Exactly. Up. So how? Yeah, exactly. Some kind of radio waves or something uh, for communication purposes. Yeah. Yeah, they've got TV. You can watch their TV Probably. from far That's off. Right. Like Neelix did when they went to Earth. Oh, Remember when they go to Earth in, in 1984 or something okay, and he's yeah. watching soap operas? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that nuance, but right. Uh, it was, was that the one where they had like the Bill Gates kind of character? Yeah, played by Ed Begley Exactly. Jr. Right, exactly. Right. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so one thing I did like is at least they made the aliens look alien. Whereas a few issues ago, we basically had an alien that looked like Moses with blue skin. You know, they got the beard, the last guy remaining that was, you know, yep. the ants were killing everybody. Right. I mean, that was just a guy, you know, you know, a Moses kind of looking guy in robes with blue skin. And that's it. That That's an alien. Uh, at least these guys, uh, they're bald. They, they seem to have unusually large craniums. Right. Um, I'll also say, though, they seem to... The facial features. They have, like, they kind of look reptilian in their eyes and and noses, I thought. Well, with, uh, uh, the, like, from V. Do you remember V, the TV show? Oh, right, the right, 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 right. Yep, yep. I thought they looked a little bit like that, even though they, they predate it by quite a few years. Yeah, but I also think that some of the, like, like the mouth and the nose, I think it looks a little bit like uh, Negro features, black folk. So I thought... That was interesting. Instead of typically white Caucasian features on all the aliens, I think they also channeled to some degree black folks' uh, facial features to some degree. But not the eyes, obviously, because they're red, weird things. But Right. Mm. So that doesn't happen too often. So I thought that was interesting. At least they try to make them look a little alien. Yeah. With their uh, their brows and their green skin, they looked a lot like uh, Martian Manhunter from DC Comics. Uh huh. Yep. I agree. Yeah. So let's see. Is so there something else? What do you think of the flying saucer that looked like a helmet or something with like rocket exact? Oh right. Yeah. So that was the ship that came and picked them out of the water. Right. I don't see how that would be very maneuverable. <laughs> yeah, so it, it has a rocket engine in the bottom of the flying saucer. Yeah. Which I know they're showing like they're moving and then they're grabbing the inflatable World War Two era inflatable yellow raft, emergency raft, complete with paddle. Um, <laughs> with the little with the little claw, like a claw machine. Exactly. But it's like, oh, my God. They're just going to get toasted with that engine exhaust, right. but yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know how that would work. 
and, and, and then and, later, oh, go ahead. No, you you go. No, no, please. Okay, so they pull them up into the flying saucer, and they transport them in the flying saucer, which I assume is manned, to the capital or whatever they're going to do. You know, the firing squad thing, and it's like nobody noticed they're a bunch of white-skinned people that don't look anything like your alien enemies. Do they know uh, and, what their alien enemies look like? Ah, uh, well, when when the when the president is on the thing and looks at them, he says, "These guys aren't the bad guys." You know what? I oh, forgot the right. name. I mean, he knew right away as long as as soon as he looked at their faces. He's like, "What? Hey, what's going on here? These aren't the bad guys." You know, they went from being diabolical, ultimate weapon wielding guys into being very reasonable. <laughs> And helpful for what they what they could do. I mean, they even took one of their spaceships up to try to stop the Enterprise from burning up. And by the way, why would the Enterprise go towards their sun all of a sudden? If I mean, if you're in orbit around a planet, because you're much closer to the planet, you know, uh, geosynchronous orbit is something like twenty thousand miles up. That's a hell of a lot closer than the sun. Or the, right. the star, right? So yep. you're gonna go. You're gonna do the same thing as Space Lab, which you're gonna, you know, your your orbit is gonna decay and eventually you'll burn up in the atmosphere. You're not gonna go towards the sun, anyway. That's more exciting. It is more exciting. You got more time, and there's a race, right? Now the right. idea that the Enterprise being drawn with gravitational pull towards the sun would outstrip the speed. Of a rocket ship? I don't know. Maybe that makes sense. I don't know. It just struck me as odd. I don't think it does, Ken. Yeah. 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 And then also, this rocket ship has like traditional like rockets. I mean, it looks like it looks like a a '60s era rocket ship. Which I don't think those were known for having really good brakes in space. Exactly. Spock's able to like stop it so that the other aliens overshoot them. Yes, shoot them in the butt. Yep. Just like wow, that's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. Now, one thing I do like about the rocket ship, and this is the only thing, because it really is, like you say, it's just a, it's just a, a silver like elongated bullet kind of thing. At least it does have some, some kind of like short stubby wings on the side and. Kind of like an air intake kind of thing. Right. Which would yeah. be useless for a spaceship, but it does make it look a little cooler. At least on the launch pad. Now, when it's blasting off, it looks pretty cool. I like, yeah. I like that shot of it blasting yeah. off. Right. Yeah, it looks yeah. cool. I and mean, it's all silvery and yep. chromey looking. I yep. like it. But it does look like a normal rocket ship with chemical <laughs> rockets. Right. Right. Yep. I don't really have anything else to say. How about you, Ken? Nah, I don't, I don't have anything. Not, not worth saying. There you go. Yeah, so we love these three issues, I think. Right? Absolutely. They're Star Trek. You got to love them. You got to love them. But I got to say, stories aren't awesome. But the drawing's better, so thumbs up. It'll yeah. be interesting to see how this plays out now that it's a new publication. Right. In the coming well, issues. I'm, yeah, so I'm kind of given the, this new writer and or just maybe a benefit of a doubt, maybe the, the next ones, maybe they'll get their footing and crank out some great stories. The writer is the problem. 
there are some lapses in the artwork, but I think the artwork is is a step up over what Ag we've been seeing. Agreed. Yeah, and the colors. Uh, yeah. If, so if, if the colors are by a different person. Uh, right. Yes. So let's get the stories better. That's the biggest issue. Right. Cool. All right. Now, so. Go ahead. Okay, so but just because we do actually like to get back to some good storytelling, are we not going to do UK comics next week, Donovan? No, I figured we did two two in a row, so we'll do uh, we'll go back to Star Trek Year Five. Good. Which, uh, should have three new stories for us to right. read. That's what eleven, twelve, and thirteen. Right. Issues. So a few days from now, 13 will be coming out, and we'll grab it. We've got 11 and 12, so we'll start prepping with those, and then pick up 13 en route, and uh, finish with an awesome episode 235. Right. So just as a teaser, this will be... I think we'll finally find out who's shooting Kirk in the back of the head in, back in way back in issue number one. Exactly. And then also, uh, I think it has a, a special guest star from the old show. Oh, there you go. Oh, oh, okay. So you know more about it. Oh no, you're right. Okay, I know what you. I know what you mean because I saw the cover. Okay, yeah, cover eleven is will be the spoiler. Right, right. But didn't didn't we see they were involved in issue ten or nine? Yeah, yeah. They they've already been in, involved okay. in some way. Okay. It's 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 Gary Seven. <laughs> okay. And ISIS. There you go. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll uh, be back next week with, with those great stories. Exactly. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.